Well, we're glad you're here with us today, and we're excited to see so many guests with us today. Uh, we're, gosh, I don't know, week seven now into this Delta variant, which has just thrown everybody for a loop. Um, but we are happy that you've chosen to join us, and if you're joining us online, uh, we're happy that you've joined us online as well. Um, if you are in second through fifth grade, you are welcome to head out towards Kidmo. Although, I don't even think they're waiting on me anymore. I think they're already gone. Um, but you are welcome to head out. Uh, and just a couple of things before we get started this morning. Uh, I know we've been praying for several families in our church that are struggling with COVID. And uh, we've been praying for Josh and his family. We're really thankful for uh, our worship leaders leading. And um, Josh is doing better. Uh, their family, I think everyone that I know of in our, our church community that uh, has COVID is doing well. Um, and uh, just to remind you, if you come down with COVID, we, we only let people know who has it if they ask us to. Um, but we've not had any um, transmissions here. Some of you are thinking, well, how many people here have COVID? <laughs> uh, we haven't had anyone get COVID here that we know of, and we hope that that continues um, we are still working on relaunching things. Uh, we, we have relaunched all of our kids' ministry. Uh, we do have youth ministry happening on Wednesday nights. Um, small groups and some of our other service opportunities that we typically would be just neck deep in right now, we're still kind of waiting for the Delta variant to kind of move out before we push a lot of in-person, indoor activities. Um, so we're just kind of waiting for that to happen. I'm hopeful that within the next you know, two to three to four weeks that that's going to happen. Uh, if we follow kind of the trend of the Delta variant as it's gone through other places, it seems that that should be about the time it moves out of here. We're just waiting, and I just hope you'll be patient with us and that you'll continue to join us on Sunday mornings while we wait to, to put all that back together. We will have some back-to-school stuff. I mean, we're already back to school. It feels weird that we haven't done our big back-to-school event for youth or for kids, but as soon as this settles down, we'll be doing those as well. So hang with us, and I'm excited about what we're going to be talking about. Let's continue to pray for each other, continue to uh, be safe as we go about our daily lives. Um, today, I want to talk to you about another rhythm. Now, if this is your first time with us, uh, rhythms are all about those things in our lives that we decide we're going to practice these. Uh, you have all kinds of rhythms that you do just naturally. Things that you, the way you get up in the morning, the way you go to bed at night, you probably practice the exact same rhythm between the time you wake up to the time you get to work most every single morning. And maybe even on Sundays when you're coming to church, you probably have a consistent rhythm of what you're going to do um, whenever you're coming to church. Sometimes those rhythms are effective. And if you've got little kids, sometimes they're not effective, right? But we all have rhythms. Now, Jesus taught us that there are a number of rhythms that we can incorporate into our own lives that will help us not only follow him and know him, but our, our ultimate goal is to become more like him. And he demonstrated and modeled those in a number of different ways. The very first rhythm we talked about is kind of the overarching rhythm that if we aren't into practicing this rhythm, none of the others will really matter. And it's just the rhythm of guidance. The rhythm of guidance is that just the idea, the belief, the hope that God wants to guide us in our lives, and when he speaks to us, and when he tells us to do something or go somewhere, that we do that. It's the rhythm of hearing God's voice and obeying his word, and uh, the primary tool we have to hear God's voice 
today is in in his word is in scripture but he does speak in different ways in the way in times that we pray and the times that we have others that are also following christ to sometimes speak into our lives there are many ways god speaks to us today not only through just people in the text but also this is the role of the holy spirit as jesus explained what the holy spirit would do for us it's an, an incredibly important rhythm we also talked about silence and solitude which some of us experienced over this last year and a half in ways that we hadn't before. We were forced to stay home, and we didn't want to stay home, and then we found out staying home is not so bad. Did anybody have that experience throughout COVID? Like, this is not so bad. Yeah, no, not Leslie, but I, like I did. I know a lot of people said, hey, listen, when everything starts opening up, I am not going to just jump on the bandwagon and do everything I used to do, because this is not so bad. The Rhythm of silence and solitude is that ability to get away from distraction. It doesn't mean you have to be alone. In fact, when you begin to practice this rhythm, you can do it in a room full of people. But you learn to remove the distractions of life and to focus on God and God alone. It's really a wonderful rhythm. We then talked about responding to suffering and adversity. Suffering and adversity is not a rhythm we seek. No one should seek after suffering, right? We don't. No one should want to hurt or to be in pain or to be stressed out, but we can't run from it. It just happens in life. And so there's a rhythm that we can develop in how we respond to adversity and suffering. Then Don joined us and he talked about uh, contemplation, meditation, and study, which is more about transformation than just about learning. Last week we talked about the rhythm of prayer and we looked at the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if any of you practiced saying the Lord's Prayer over these last few days. Um, if not, and if prayer is not a regular rhythm already for you, I would encourage you to try that. We looked at the two parts of the Lord's Prayer, where one is where we recognize God's place in our lives and in the world, and we want to follow Him and His kingdom here on this earth. And the second part was where we pray for our needs, not just my needs, but our needs needs and in so praying for our needs many times god will remind us well there's a way you can meet someone else's needs so prayer is something that not only allows us to be in tune with god it also allows us to be closer to him and at at many times will actually move us to action not just waiting for god to do something if you want to follow through on any of those or learn more about any of those rhythms and you haven't joined us for those weeks um, you can find those online. We have worship services online. You can follow just the messages. Um, but I would encourage you to begin practicing these things. None of the rhythms matter if we don't practice them. And so that's why each week we've tried to have a way for us to practice the rhythm. And then I hope that you're going home and you're doing that yourselves. If you haven't liked our Facebook page, uh, we're putting some prompts out on Facebook or Instagram uh, and I hope that you'll follow along and that you will practice these rhythms because our goal is not to survive. Our goal is not just to make it through the pandemic. Our goal is not just to go to church. Our goal is to experience all the things Jesus said we'll experience when we follow him. That's, that's my goal. That's what I want. I've got other things I can do on Sunday mornings, but, but I can't do them and pursue Christ at the same time. So our goal in these rhythms is to find a life with Christ that is real and transformational. It is all the things that we he promised it would be, not just the fact that we go to church and we do religious things here and there. Today's rhythm is an incredibly important rhythm. And I'm probably going to talk 
to you about it in a little different way than you're used to. It's the rhythm of service. The rhythm of service becomes bundled with some other rhythms um, in life. Service always comes bundled with a rhythm of a willingness to sacrifice. Service also comes bundled with a rhythm of submission. Now, sacrifice and submission are not near as much fun to talk about as service, right? We have a tendency to avoid things that would cause us to have to submit or to sacrifice. We don't run to that direction, but what we find in the world is that is often where true humanity lives. The rhythm of service is a combination of humility, mutual sacrifice, and submission towards our neighbors. Now, you probably noticed yesterday, if you're on social media as I did, uh, the number of posts about the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And for those in the room that were alive when 9-11 happened, because a number of you weren't. My kid, Jake, was. Jake was nine months old when uh, when the planes hit the World Trade Centers. My my other three kids, uh, they, they weren't alive when it happened. Um, and all of them, we have been basically at war. I shared a little bit of my thoughts. We were living in Washington, D.C. at the time, so it was, it was, a, it, it was very personal for us. Uh, but one of the silver linings that we saw was just the uh, amount of service and community that people had for each other. And we, and we watched on the news as, as true acts of heroism uh, were just displayed one right after the other, primarily in, in the form of our first responders that would run into these buildings that were about to collapse. I don't think they knew they were about to collapse, but they were running in these buildings. They were running through these levels just engulfed with flame, trying to rescue as many people as they could. And we look at those stories, and you can't help but be inspired and be thankful knowing that some of them when they ran in for the last time, they wouldn't come back out again. Now, those are the kinds of stories that we look at people and we go, wow, that is amazing. I don't know if I would have that within me. And we remember their stories. And part of remembering 9-11 is not just remembering the horror. Part of it is remembering the bravery and the love for the fellow human people they didn't even know that were in need. And they ran to them. And we... Think about things like that, and it's not hard to remember some of Jesus' teachings. John 15, he says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And he goes on and he says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Truly talking about himself, but basically trying to say and, and go to the extreme that if we're going to serve and love others, this means we must be willing to go to the ultimate length to care for others. Now, you can imagine doing that for your kids or for your spouse or for someone in your family or your best friend, but can you do that for someone that you don't even know that well? These are incredible stories of, of self-sacrifice and service and love to others. But the reality is, is that that's not really the kind of service I'm, I want to talk to you about today because there may be moments... I've never had the moment where I had to put my life at risk to help someone else, at least not that I know of. I think I have put my life at risk at times, usually for stupid stuff. I'm sure there's some other of you in the room who have done that as well. I don't really want to talk about those big ones, 
But we see this rhythm happening in everyday acts of kindness. Richard Foster, who did so much work in the, in the rhythms and the spiritual disciplines, he says this, when we see someone intently listening to another human being, we are witnessing service in action. When we see a person holding the sorrows of another in tender, loving care, we are witnessing service in action. When we see someone actively guarding the reputation of others, we are witnessing service in action. When we see simple, everyday acts of kindness, we are witnessing service in action. It is in these actions and many more like them that we begin to get a picture of service. This rhythm that becomes not the thing we do on Sundays, but we do just throughout every day of our lives because we found this incredible treasure named Jesus. Now, I, I am a purveyor of social media. I try to purvey as little as possible because there's so much negativity. But I, every now and then, you probably see these, I see these collection of memes that I just have to click. They're either silly or funny or inspiring. But I came across these and I thought I'd share them with you because I thought they gave us somewhat of a picture of what we're going to be talking about. Show us that first slide. This is just a story someone has shared. I notice our lovely janitor gets treated like an outcast, so I made sure to drink my coffee with him daily in front of the gate. Today I was in a hurry to get to my office, so he came to my office with a cup of coffee and awkwardly goes, thank you for being my friend. Picture of service. Next one. See the picture at the bottom? Husband and wife. My parents have been married for 34 years. My mom is in the final stages of young onset dementia, diagnosed five years ago at 53. My dad cares for her full time. She doesn't always remember his name, but she knows she is safe with him. If that's not true love, I don't know what is. Another picture of service. Our elderly neighbor passed away recently. His daughter popped around a few months ago clutching a large plastic sack. In the sack were all the Christmas presents he'd bought for our daughter for the next 13 years. No, aren't they? Next one. The girl I babysit has made me watch Wally at least 10 times, so I assumed it was her favorite movie. But today after, Mom told me that she watches it because she thinks it's my favorite movie. Ha! All right. That's all for now. There's a bunch more out there. You can find them. See, these images, they feel good, right? They feel meaningful. They feel powerful. And you think, I want someone like that in my life. Maybe even we go so far as to say, I want to be like that in my life. See, the rhythm of service is supposed to be a hallmark rhythm of the Christian faith. It's that thing that defines us far and above and beyond the way the rest of the world typically lives their life. And I don't know if any of these people are Christians, but it wouldn't surprise me if some of them were. The rhythm of service is so powerful that Jesus talks about it and uses imagery that is uh, increasingly powerful for the way that we would understand how we can live our lives in relationship with other people. Now, if you've been coming to Journey for a while, you know that there are a couple of things I like to say over and over again, and one is, is that our faith is about the pearl of great price. This thing we found that is so good that we're willing to give up everything else in our life to have it. That is Jesus. That is what he's called us to. That is what Christianity is supposed to be. And the other is just the commands of Jesus where he says, if you want to get all of the teaching of that whole big Bible that you carried in with you or is on your phone, 
If you want to get all of that, what you're going to find is that it boils down into two things. One is that you're going to love God with everything, your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second thing you're going to do is you're going to love other people like you love yourself. Not better than yourself, but you're going to love them just just like you love yourself. And in that, all of the law is summed up. And we sometimes miss these things because what we want is we want a list of behaviors of what am I supposed to do. And if you approach this this understanding of rhythms like a list of things you have to do, I'll tell you right now, you'll you'll burn out and quit. This is not about a list that you're supposed to fulfill because there's just too many. But when our hearts begin to change and we begin to understand what Jesus was about and when we begin to understand what Jesus was calling us to be about, these things bring us life. We enjoy doing them. We have to do them. That's how powerful they are within our lives. Jesus would show his disciples what service looked like by washing their feet in John chapter 13, which is where we're going to spend the rest of our time together. Whenever we're done talking about this, we're going to take communion together. We have one more song we're going to do, and we're going to take communion together. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to come up and to get one of these. We don't typically take communion this way, but we have throughout COVID. And so I'm going to let you come up and get one. So if you're wondering why they're up here and why we haven't used them yet, we are getting to that. Before we do, let's talk about how Jesus talked about sacrifice and submission and suffering. If we're going to do that, we have to understand a little bit about what our purpose is today. Part of our purpose is is that we want to become more like Christ. I'm assuming that's why you're here. Sometimes people look at Jesus as that person or that being or that genie in a lamp that can help me get the goals of my life, and you'll find you'll become a very frustrated Christian if that's who Jesus is to you. You'll eventually give up and you'll walk away because that's not how Jesus works. He's not the genie in the bottle. But he is someone who has invited us to do life with him, to be his brothers and his sisters. He gave his life to atone for our sin so that we could be forgiven and we could be whole and we could experience God the way we were always intended to experience it. Now part of what Jesus is going to be doing in John chapter 13 that we're going to read in just a minute is he's showing his disciples exactly what he means when he talks about loving other people. Uh, In this period of the world, at this time when Jesus is walking and Jesus is talking, there was a saying that was said to a new disciple of a rabbi. Whenever a a disciple was picked up by a rabbi, um, they would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And the idea was that you would walk so closely and become so much like your teacher that literally whenever they would kick dust up, they would kick it all over you and you would be covered in it because you were that close with your teacher. Now Jesus kind of broke all of the expectations that people had of what it meant to be a rabbi at the time. He was a rabbi. He was called teacher. In fact, even people who rejected him and didn't like him said he was a a teacher and called him a rabbi. Now at this time, whenever you were a Jew and you were growing up, when you were about the age of six, which means you're probably going to be like an old kindergartner or a young first grader, then you're going to begin going to a rabbi and you're going to begin learning the first five books of the Old Testament. It's called the Torah, and it was expected that Moses wrote this and gave that to them. 
But when you would go, you wouldn't just learn the ideas and the principles and the facts. You would actually memorize all five books of the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now, at, by the time you were 10, you should have this. And there were some that were so good at memorizing and so good at understanding these first five books of the, of the Old Testament that they would be picked up to stay for an additional course in which they would then begin studying and memorizing the rest of the Old Testament. And if you're counting, that's 39 different books at the age of 10 you would begin to memorize. Now others, if they weren't picking it up or they weren't just, you know, they weren't grasping the teaching or they weren't able to memorize, they just weren't being set apart from the other kids, then they would go on about what every other child would be doing, and that was to learn a trade, normally from mom or dad, Just as Jesus was a carpenter, just like his father, you would typically learn the trade of your mother or your father, and you would wherever you would go. And there was no shame in it. It's just that some people set themselves aside and apart to go on and to learn more on this process that would then themselves become a rabbi. Now, at the time that you've learned all 39 books of the Old Testament, some would then stop their education there, and then they would leave Others would then move on and they would say, no, you, you, you stand out. Like you're an incredible student. You, I think you could go farther. You may even be able to become a rabbi yourself. And so they would go and apply to all the different rabbis. And even the different rabbis, it wasn't like it was one group that believed all the same things and said all the same things. Each rabbi kind of had their own way to interpret the scriptures. And, and that's why you will sometimes read in the, in the New Testament where they'll talk about the different leaders. You say you're of this leader. You say you're of that leader. It's because some viewed other leaders better than some. Their interpretations were better. The way they taught were better. They were just more entertaining maybe than some others. So you would apply if you had learned these first, or not first, but had learned all of the Scripture as they knew it at that time, the 39 books of the Old Testament. And they would then apply to go be a disciple. And a rabbi would then determine whether you could come on and follow them. Now this is important because you can see that if you were going to become a rabbi, if you were going to become not just a rabbi, but a disciple of a rabbi, it was an incredibly tedious process. Which Jesus constantly broke down the ways that the rest of the world did things because He knew it was not just about these actions and memorizing Scripture. It was about becoming something. And what he would eventually say is it's more like becoming like him, which is what every rabbi would say to his disciples. You become like me because once you become like me, you can probably take over for me. It's interesting when Jesus began to call his disciples and he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because the yoke of a rabbi were their, the wholeness of their teachings. And it was not light. And it was not easy. So if this rabbi had a collection of teachings that they were focused on for you, that was called their yoke. And Jesus said, oh, no, no, no. You, you who didn't make the cut, you who weren't picked up to be a disciple by a rabbi, you who may not even have memorized the Old Testament, much less the first five books, you come and be my disciple. You come and be like me. Let me show you because my yoke, the things I'm going to teach you are easy. My burden is light. 
But what we would find is that when Jesus began to teach these disciples, while it seems so easy, it often in practice was not. Because it did require us to be transformed. Let's look at John chapter 13, again with verse 1. This is one of the last groupings of teachings before Jesus would be crucified. And it says, now before the feast of the Passover, this is um, exactly what we're going to be practicing here in just a few minutes with communion. Before the feast of the Passover, that time when Jesus entered into Jerusalem with a great fanfare and he was telling his disciples, my time's come, I'm about to, I'm about to be killed. And they're still not grasping it and they're still not really receiving what he's saying. But before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all these things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around them, around him. Now this is important because in the cult- in Jewish culture, like a rabbi did not wash feet. A rabbi did not invite people. People asked the rabbi to, if they could follow him. The rabbi would never stoop to this place. Now, you've probably heard about Jesus washing feet before, and so I don't want to give a, a whole history lesson in why they do this, but there was it was important that when you came into a home that you were clean. But your feet would never be clean. They didn't have asphalt or concrete sidewalks. They just walked among the dirt. They walked among everything that was on the dirt. The roads were shared by people and livestock alike, and so you can imagine all the things that the livestock left. That also ended up in the dirt and also ended up on your feet and kicked up all over you. And so when you would enter into a home, someone, usually a servant, or someone who in the hierarchy of importance was on the lower end of importance, would then get on their hands and knees and they would take a towel and they would take a basin of water and the and the guests of importance would walk in and, and they would just slowly wash away all the grime and the dirt and the stuff left over by livestock and, and they would do that. It was not a position of privilege. It was a position of service. Now, Jesus being the ultimate rabbi, kneeling and doing this did two things. One, it shattered their idea of what value was in their relationships. And number two, it led them to a very real personal problem. I cannot have my teacher washing my feet. This is a, I should be doing. This is not, no rabbi does this. And here he is washing, washing my feet. Peter especially had a problem with it because it says in verse 6 that he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, which is, like we could go into a lot of depth on why he said that. You do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. He, he's foreshadowing. He's talking about what's about to happen. 
uh, on the cross and then coming back from the dead and, and them going out, the Holy Spirit, the whole nine yards of the church being established following the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He's, he is foreshadowing that, but he's also foreshadowing that until I'm gone, you're not fully going to comprehend what I'm trying to teach you right now. Even today, we don't fully comprehend what Jesus is trying to teach in this moment right here because quite honestly, it goes against the grain of, of our very nature to do this. What I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean. But not every one of you. He's talking about Judas. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. And he goes on in, in typical Jesus fashion after he's done something that completely blows their worldview out of the water. And honestly, if we listen to what is happening here, we'll blow our worldview out of the water too. Jesus thankfully begins to explain a little bit about what he's doing and why he's doing it. Verse 12 says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. In other words, you see me in this high position in our community, and you're right. I'm the highest position in our community. I am your teacher. I am your master. I am your Lord. I am your rabbi. You're right. The social hierarchy of things that should be done for people or people should be doing things for other people. I am at the top. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, I have, in other words, taken the lowest position to serve you, a position that no one of my status should take, but I have taken it for you, if I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. In other words, I'm telling you, I'm showing you. Like this is a lesson here. This is not just an action. It's not because nobody else bothered to wash our feet. I'm trying to get you to see the world differently. I'm trying to, to help you change. I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Again, he's talking about Judas. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he, the Messiah. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This, this has got to be one of the hardest teachings of Jesus for us today. Because there's nothing in our lives that wants to be subservient to someone else. There's nothing in us that wants to lower ourselves to a position perceived below someone else. And yet Jesus does this, pretty much on the nose, teaches this. And it's something that if we don't 
grasp and if we don't learn, we will miss what Jesus is trying to do in our lives and the world will not see who Jesus truly is, how beautiful he truly is. One of the reasons is the part of the world that we live in. We live in a world in which our own personal pursuit of freedom and happiness and wealth and success many times excludes other people. It's about me getting what I want. Yet Jesus says this is not what that's about. This is about serving each other, loving each other, being there for each other. Jesus says this in so many different ways. He talks about us carrying one another's burdens. He gives parable after parable, story after parable. He talks about the Good Samaritan in which a Samaritan was not someone valued by a Jew. And yet the Samaritan cared for a Jew that was hurting on the side of the road. Whenever they would ask him, well, who's my neighbor? That was the story that Jesus told them. Like, everybody's your neighbor. Well, then who should I love? Everybody. And who should I serve? Well, Jesus is saying here, you should take the position that is lower. He talks about this in other parables when he talks about the wedding feast. And he says, don't invite the people that are high status. Don't invite the people that when they come, you can say, you know what, who was at my party? No, invite the people that no one cares about because that's the people that God is most concerned with. Put the person who has no status at the head of the table, not the person that's going to get you an invite to the next big social gathering. There are a million different ways to practice this every single day. There's a million different ways to practice this. The idea that we set aside time for our Christian life does not follow any of Jesus' teachings. Jesus never said, set aside a part of your day or a part of your week or a part of your month and, and do this thing, and in so doing, you'll make me happy, and then I'll take care of you. Jesus never taught in that way, ever, at any point, ever. In fa- instead, he said, do this repeatedly. Like, this is a state of mind. This is a state of being. This is, this is the way we live our lives, and you will never run out of an opportunity to practice service towards others, but you will constantly struggle with the belief that I shouldn't have to serve others because I'm me. You can serve others at home, at work. You can serve others. When you walk into a grocery store, you're there to purchase. You're the consumer. But you can serve those who are there as well. You can serve others at church. It's easy to think about service as volunteering at the church, and and that's an important part of, of serving. But when we push everything about this rhythm into just Sunday mornings or Wednesday evenings or whenever church activities go on, we miss what Jesus is actually saying because he's not really trying to get activities covered. What he's trying to do is he's trying to get our hearts to be changed and to be open towards others. A willingness to sacrifice always accompanies service. Undoubtedly, Some of our children's volunteers have had a rough week and they could have taken a day off today. And they sacrificed to be here to serve. Undoubtedly, some who were serving, whether in tech or in worship or even showing up today and seeing that your 
your time here with us is a time to serve the people that are in the room with you, whether it's serving coffee or just being a friend. It may cost you something. Those of us who are introverted, and I think there's probably a lot of us that are, it costs us something every time we decide to reach out to somebody, doesn't it? There's a cost, a sacrifice there. So if I'm talking to you, you can know I've made a sacrifice, right? Some of you are thinking that. See, this mindset it influences everything. It influences every relationship you have. It influences your relationship with God. It influences the way you talk to people. It influences the way you joke with people. You ever had that friend that their constant pattern of jokes was to make fun of you? And they think it's hilarious, but you laugh because you don't want to pretend that it hurts, but it actually hurts. Service says, I care about you beyond my laugh. You ever been in a situation when somebody's falling down on the job and you want them to know they're falling down on the job and so you let them know you're falling down on the job? Service says, it's not about you letting me down. How can I help you and serve you? And in so doing, you're going to sacrifice a piece of yourself that feels like you have been rightfully wronged. Service is, I mean, it's powerful. It's, it's powerful. We're struggling to look at other people, and it's easy when you look at 9-11 and you say at 9-11 somebody runs into a burning building to help someone else. That was sacrifice. They were submitting to the, to the needs of someone else above and beyond their own because they were safe. They were outside. They didn't have to run back in, but they did. And it's a heart that says, you matter. It's not just me. You matter. John Eldridge, he, he loves to talk about story. and He does a lot of men's ministry and things like that. But I remember him saying once, everyone thinks they're the center of their own story. They're the main character. Everyone else in your life is just a supporting character for your story. But that is not how Jesus talks about people. But isn't that how we all inwardly feel about ourselves? I do. I, I, I go to that place so easy. So easy to think, this is about me, and look at my life, and how hard my life is. And look what's important to me, and that should be important to you. And, and it, I can go there in a heartbeat. Because that's hardwired in us to treat people as means to an end for stuff, rather than how can I care and serve you. How we treat people who are different from us. How we treat people who believe different things from us. Can we practice the rhythm of service for somebody who absolutely rejects everything we stand for? Well, Jesus showed us over and over again, yes, you can, actually. The woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the lost son. You can. And the reason that pushes us back and that we're thinking, I just don't know if I can do that, is because the cost seems so high because I feel like I'm doing something for you, but you're not reciprocating. Which is why service, sacrifice, and submission are forever linked together as a constant rhythm. This all builds into making us 
into the image of Christ as He said we would become if we follow Him. And there is no more important character trait for a follower of Jesus than humility. There is no practice that will grow humility in your life more than the rhythm of serving others. Humility is required for us to submit to Christ. To say, not my way, but your way. Jesus even said that. He said, I'm not above my Father in heaven. It's not what I want, it's what He wants. Humility to come to the place and say, yes, I'm a sinner, I have messed up. That is a place of humility. And without that, there is no repentance. Without repentance, there is no faith. Without faith, there is no salvation. Humility is so important. Not being humiliated, though for many Christians they will be humiliated because of their faith. We don't value being humiliated, but we value not holding ourselves in a place above other people. And I'm guessing if we ask most of the world, do Christians practice the rhythm of humility where they don't hold themselves above other people? A good number of people in the world would probably say, I don't, I don't see that. Because we like to force ourselves on people. Jesus never forced himself on anybody. For crying out loud, he washed the feet of Judas, who was about to betray him. And he, when he talked about Judas, while he, he would say things like, Satan is, going, is doing his work. He was nothing but loving towards Judas. Jesus was never anything but loving towards Judas. Can we learn from that? Can it change the way we respond to people? Can it change the way we handle a pandemic? That we look and say, how can I serve? How can I help? How can I hold you up as a person of value rather than working so hard to hold myself up? This is a hard one. It's easy to talk about. We talk about this stuff. But when it comes to no one's watching, and I've got to deal with the anxiety in my heart of serving someone I don't want to serve, that's hard. That's, that's hard. And this is what we are called to. And Jesus said, this is what I'm modeling for you. And he didn't just talk about it in a parable. He got down on his hands and knees into a, a place of submission, into a lowly place that a rabbi should never have held, he got on his hands and his knees and he slowly poured water over their feet and he washed away all of the just crap, literally, that was all over them. Could you imagine? Think of who the most important person in your life is. I mean, I know it's Jesus if I were to ask you, right? Because that's what we were supposed to say. But let's just say, who's the most important? What if they... Maybe it's not washing feet because that's such a foreign practice for us because we have socks and shoes. We walk on pavement. We get in our cars. What's the lowest position a person could take in your life? And what if the person you love more than anything else took that position for you? How would you respond? How would you respond? Would it be like the babysitter who found out that the reason I've been watching Wally for the you know the last ten times is is not because it's their favorite, because I thought I was serving them. They this child was trying to serve me because they thought I was my favorite. Doesn't that change relationships? Do you look at somebody differently as a result? 
See, the rhythm of service is not just about the big things like 9-11. It's about the small things that we do for others every day. That's what makes us into who we are today. When you go to school, we, we just we hammered into our kids over and over again. If someone's sitting by themselves, go sit with them. And that, that costs you something, doesn't it? Like if, if, if you're at the cool kids' table, you don't want to leave the cool kids' table to go to the table where no one's sitting with them. So it costs you something to go do that. Jesus looks at that and says, that, that's what I would have done. That's what I would have done. Jesus even says when you start doing that kind of stuff for other people, it's as if you actually did it to me. Amazing when we begin to understand the totality of Jesus' teachings. All right. I could go on and on. I think you get the gist of what I'm trying to say because I do want us to take communion together. If I could just leave something with you. Jesus is not a means to an end. We don't follow Him because He gets He gives us stuff. We follow Him because... He's the pearl of great price. To know Him and to walk with Him, to be able to worship Him, to pray, to feel His presence, to know that He's preparing a place for us and we're going to spend an eternity with Him. Like That's it. If I have to give up some of myself to align myself with Christ, I think that falls in line with picking up your cross, denying yourself and following Him. That falls right into line with His teachings. But it doesn't fall always in line with my heart. And that's why this is a rhythm. That's why this is a practice. That's why we practice this. When you leave here today, you can do this. I don't know how true this is. I've heard it said, and I do believe it does actually happen, that the lowest tipping day of the week is on Sundays when we go out to eat. And I do know lots of Christians who have done bad things around tipping. But I know an awful lot of really generous Christians too. We can serve others in the way that we show our appreciation when they serve. We can show others when we're at work and we don't just do the least amount that we have to do. Yesterday, I, I'm a creature of habit. If I take my wallet out of my pocket, like it's gone. I don't know where it's at. I'm going to go somewhere else. My wallet's always in my pocket. I had taken it out and I left it on the table. We went out and did some things. Luckily, Deidre was with us. She uh, she paid for everything. She she was my sugar mama, and I appreciated that, like that. And uh, but then I dropped them off at the house, and I said I'm going to run to the store. And I ran to the store, and I got all my stuff, and I pulled up to the cashier, and guess what? I still didn't have with me, and have my wallet with me. And this nice girl, her name was Stephanie. She, I said, oh, I am so sorry. I, I forgot my wallet. She said, oh, that's okay. You can go get it. I'll hold your stuff. I said, no, I mean, I left it at home. <laughs> I got to go home. And she said, oh, it's okay. Listen, I'm going to take care of that. I'll keep all your stuff here. Now, don't drive fast. I'll keep it here. You'll be fine. Be safe. You know, just whatever. She had already, she already told me what the expiration date on the meat I had bought, that we were going to prepare last night. She's like, you, you see the date. Will you, will you use this or freeze this before this date so it's still good? 
I was like, yeah, I'm, we're making them tonight. So then I got home and I got my wallet and, and then I drove back. And on my way, I was like, am I going back? Yes, I'm going back. Stephanie's holding my stuff. I'm going back. Got my wallet and I went back and I came in and I walked through her line and she said, oh, you're back. She said, most people don't come back. I was like, really? I mean, they still got to eat. I, why do they, I mean, yeah, I kept all your stuff. It's right here. And I just, yeah. And then she noticed I had my journey mask on, which, you know, I, I wear masks where people, I feel like people um, are nervous or if I'm in an area with a bunch of people I don't know. And she noticed the Journey logo on it, and we had been to a, a turn, basketball tournament. Jonathan was playing in a tournament that was just happened to be held by a guy who does a lot of faith-based stuff. And so I had my tournament bracelet on, and I had a Bible verse on it. She said, oh, I noticed your mask, and I noticed your wristband. I really like those. And so now we're having a conversation about faith in line at, Walmart, at the Walmart neighborhood market. I don't know that she's a Christian, but I think there's a good chance she is. And you know what? She she did not have to do any of that. She chose to serve me. She chose to serve me. And when I left that place, I felt so good. And it just reminded me why we why we really need to love everybody we come in contact with. There are, all, there are a million different ways that we can serve other people. And I want to encourage you to practice that. We're going to take communion together. The reminds us of the greatest act of service Jesus does for us. And that he did give his life for all of us. So over this next song, I'm going to invite you to come up and to take one of these. Um, I don't know what you call them. They call them chalices. That feels a little uh, bougie for uh, what they really are, but... You can take one. Um, there are a, there's a black tray in the middle of each table that are gluten-free if you need that or if you just want that. Um, all the ones around the tray are just normal ones. I don't know how they're different other than one has gluten and one doesn't. Um, but as we're singing this song, I hope the, these lyrics, um, I hope this song speaks to you about the love that you have in Christ. Um, and just come up and take one. As soon as they're done, we're going to take communion together and then we'll be finished.